lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Lena, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover How to Love a Human. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am with Dr. Lena Harrison. Hey, Lena. Hey, Candace. I want to start with the non researchy question first. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today? Human as fuck. <laughs> Most definitely. What makes the difference for you? <laughs> Oh, I'm on vacation mm -hmm. in a foreign country. Um, I am looking at beautiful Mediterranean. The sun is setting. Ooh, and oh. um, I think it's moments like these that uh, really make me grateful mm -hmm. for life and all of the blessings that I have. Um and encourage me to take this feeling back into my everyday life. Mm. That taking it back, that makes a lot of sense because when it comes down to those being moments that are intermittent, sometimes you need to be able to grasp onto those when you're in the day to day. Most definitely, most definitely. And take time to be in the moment with your everydays. Mm. Um, that's something I've really been working on eating a snack mindfully, mm. taking a couple moments to breathe. Because um, I think with the go, 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 the fast pace of the world we're living in, it's really easy to miss out on moments that can bring us joy. Yeah. That's a great point. Mindfulness is such a practice and it is hard work for me. <laughs> it's a, mm -hmm. a work. <laughs> Yes. I'm so action oriented mm -hmm. and I need to, I'm trying to work on receiving more Wow! rather than always being in an active state. Right. Well, I'm going to lead in with the question about who you are. Share your most salient identities with me. Okay. I am a tall mixed girl who wears glasses. Um, more specifically, I am black and white, able-bodied, heterosexual, cisgendered, outspoken, with a very strong sense of justice and social justice. Um, and I'm extremely vigilant to and critical of abuse of power, double standards, and oppression in any form. Um, speaking up is a quality that both my parents instilled in me from a young age. Mm. How young? I'm, oh gosh, I can remember uh, um, like fifth grade and <laughs> it's kind of a silly example, but uh, we had this rule in fifth grade that um, no one could eat in the classroom. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> but the teacher would eat when she was teaching us. So, so her mouth would be full and she would be talking. And um, it just seemed so strange to <laughs> me. And so I said something to my parents and they were like, well, say something to her. And we had this... Um, we had this mailbox in the back of the classroom where you could like write stuff anonymously. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wrote something and um, she read it and she got really mad. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, she got really mad and really defensive. And um, I told my, and so then I went and told my parents and then they came to the school or I think my mom came and spoke with the teacher and then she we kind of like had to come to Jesus where she apologized and um we talked about it and worked it out so that was a good thing 
Um, so you saw your voice in action make it work, make it happen. I did. I did. And I think the fact that my parents encouraged me to and stuck up for me when the teacher kind of asserted her power, mm-hmm. um, it was a really good model for me. And yeah, I can just remember, you know, working little jobs in high school, restaurant jobs when things just, you know, there was a lot of stuff that shouldn't be going on that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to, to my sister and me, why don't you guys speak up? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember my dad always saying, you know, just just put something out there. Just put anything out there. That means that the other person has to respond to you. Mm-hmm. And I really, that's one of the most lessons that I've gotten from my, definitely. Wow. So you yeah. said, I want to summarize a little bit that you identify as tall, as um, mixed, black and white, biracial, um, cisgender, heterosexual. What makes those able-bodied? Yeah. What makes those identities stand out versus others? Um, well, I led first with my ethnic background, um, and gender, because those are the marginalized identities Mm -hmm. and the ones that I think I think about the most. Got it. Um, and while being tall isn't necessarily a marginalized identity, I mean, a lot of studies show that it's a privileged one for men and Mm -hmm. to a lesser extent women. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that being a tall woman uh, makes me stand out just, you know, even from a physical, like you're looking around a crowd, mm-hmm. like <laughs> my head's usually above everybody else's. Um, and that coupled with being mixed and so-called uh, ethnically ambiguous mm-hmm. often draws attention to me that um, I really would prefer not to have. What kind of attention? Um, constantly being asked, what are you, mm. by, by strangers. Um, when I'm doing things like shopping in a grocery store, um, to when I was working in a restaurant, the customers that I was serving, um, people just feeling really entitled to what feels like to me is an invasion of space mm. to ask, to ask, what are you? Right. Treating um, you like a puzzle that they were trying to figure out. That? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like a puzzle. Yeah. Like I don't fit in their little boxes and they need to make me fit. Wow. Um, yeah, it's always really bothered me. I think it continues to bother me, um, being othered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really have a consciousness or a vocabulary for it until my 20s and now my 30s. Um, I think I'm still working through a lot of my identity because of being othered and mm-hmm. feeling different. Um, and, you know, I, I like the way that I look um, more now than I used to, definitely. When I was younger, I always used to wish that my skin were darker Mm. um, or that my features were more stereotypically, quote unquote, black. Um, When do you first remember wishing for that? Oh, gosh. Because I hear a lot of people around middle school, but I think sometimes it can even happen earlier. Yeah. Um... Well, I think in middle school, for me, where I grew up, um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, Mm -hmm. in a suburb of the Bay, um, in a mostly white area. I went to a Catholic school, so all of my peers were white, Mm -hmm. um, except for maybe one or two Mexican-Americans, one or two Asian-Americans. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So in middle school, it was 
that was kind of when being black started to be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, to your I, white friends? To my white friends. Got yes, it. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I guess though that I didn't really start feeling that about wishing my skin were darker, that I had more black features until high school. Okay. Because that's, that's when I went to public school and I was in a much more integrated environment. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just really wish I belonged with more ease, Mm. uh, with the black people at my public school. In what ways did it feel uneasy for you? Um, well, they, first of all, they all knew each other. So they had all grown up together. Yeah. Um, you were the new girl. Yeah. I was the new girl. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm also introverted. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's interesting, you know, even though I'll speak up like when something's wrong or I don't, I see something I don't like, um, socially I do tend to hang back and be more quiet. Mm -hmm. And so, and I felt like, um, you know, they all knew each other. They had all these jokes, um, that I, I, that I appreciated. It was like, it was like understanding a language, but not being able to speak it. Oh, wow. Understanding yeah. a language, but not being able to speak it, which yeah. feels paralyzing. I'm, yeah. I'm using yeah, a word that for me, but I don't, I mean, to be in a, in a place and hear and understand, but not be able to connect mm-hmm. through. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that changed Mm -hmm. as high, as high school went on, but, um, it's still, it's still a part of me. I think Mm -hmm. it might always be a part of me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at that time you thought darkening your skin tone would be the language would close the language gap. Um, of I think I felt like I felt like if my skin were darker or if my features were more stereotypically black because I have a lot of mixed friends whose features look quote unquote black okay. and they don't have the same experience that I have. gotcha mm-hmm. um, I just felt like I wouldn't be questioned more like oh you know, where did you grow up or mm-hmm. where, you know, where are you from? Who are your parents? Um, sometimes I feel like I kind of got the, oh, she thinks she's cute cause she's light skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, though just, just all of that. And I don't know how much of that was me kind of hearing one thing and then projecting it onto everything else Mm. or how much of that was really going on. Got it. And I mean, now that so much time has passed, it's kind of hard to, to pick those pieces apart. It just becomes part of you and your Mm -hmm. story. Absolutely. And you said a part of you that feels like it might always be with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyway, other parts of your identity intersect with that piece? Well, when I think about social class or when I think about, I think you, you named ability. I don't know if you named mm-hmm. spiritual or religi- religious identity and things like that. I think social class, definitely. Um, my parents were both born working class. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was born we were middle class. Um, and then towards the, the end of high school, I would say we became upper middle, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of remember as being able to go on a nice vacation mm-hmm. once a year, which we hadn't done in my younger years. I think that the social class, I was growing up, you know, in 
elementary school, middle school, I was at a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of wealth there. Mm. And so I never considered um, that I always kind of saw myself at the bottom rung of that. And then when I went to public school or for high school, and then as I progressed through high school, that kind of started to shift. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was more towards the middle and upper rung of social class. Mm. And so when a lot of the, a lot of the black people from um, East Palo Alto, uh, Redwood City, mm-hmm. East Menlo Park, um, and those are all more working class uh, neighborhoods. Okay. And so that was yet another way that I was different because I lived in Palo Alto. Mm, uh, I see. I lived in a very affluent area. And so just being outside of the neighborhood was another. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Any other identities that I haven't brought up or you may not have mentioned that stand out to you as we're talking about it more? Um, well, you know, I talked about kind of this wish that I had, um, to, to be more obviously black. Um, Mm -hmm. and And I, you know, that, that wish came from a desire to have the security, the foundation of being one quote unquote thing, one, one race, one mm-hmm. ethnicity. Um, even while recognizing that being a, a quote unquote full person of color comes with a host of experiences that I, as a mixed person, don't have to deal with or mm-hmm. I deal with less. Um, and so looking back, it feels kind of patronizing of me to, to, to have wanted that identity. Hmm. Um, but the, that desire to belong was so strong. Got it. Um, I, I say that at the core, I, people want to be loved and belong. Yes. Yes. Attachment. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to attachment. Um, but some of the experiences that I, as a mixed person don't have to deal with um or deal with less than other people of color include a lot of issues related to skin tone Mm. um so so being light-skinned or having quote-unquote good hair um for the people who are listening who don't know what quote-unquote good hair might mean could you break it down for me (laughs) yes so so, um, in the black community and also in, uh, the Latino mm-hmm. community, mm-hmm. there's this notion of having good hair or, um, pelo lindo in Spanish. Mm. And, um, the idea of good hair is that it's, um, it's softer, it's, uh, less, it's not kinky, um, it's not nappy to use vernacular. Um, it's, it's easier to tan frizzy. Um, and the idea of having that good hair is that it's a closer approximation to whiteness, to mm. European beauty standards. Um, and so since I am half white and my mom is white. Um, I have the hair that has historically been desired. Mm. Um, did you, do you want to add anything to explain Candace? Do you have any? No, I think you broke it down just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so kind of, so having those attributes, um, you know, it takes me closer to globally accepted standards of beauty. Um, and, while mixed women are still objectified or exoticized, Mm -hmm. it's not nearly as punishing a type of objectification as it is for those who don't approach those, approach those European beauty standards. Mm. Um, and I also think that 
my white identity. Um, like I said, it, it includes having a white mom um, mm-hmm. and white extended family. Mm-hmm. And that's given me a lot of social access to dominant space and lots of people. Um, and I really, I recognize that a lot now, now that I have a consciousness and a vocabulary to break these things down. Right. Where did the vocab come from? Because I think you're so right in that from K through or birth, really through whenever there's an absence of language to describe experience, especially ethnic and racial consciousness. And sometimes people don't even get it ever. I know. And I think we're seeing somewhat of an awakening in um, pop culture for this Mm -hmm. language. But Mm -hmm. even then, some people don't connect with the what the terms mean with what their experience is yet. And that depends on their identity development. So I'm wondering where you first started to hear about it and when it clicked for you. I guess I've always had a consciousness for being different, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for being the other, um, even though I didn't know how to talk about it right. for a long time. It was always there. In high school, my senior year of high school, we took, there was like a film lit class that was related to issues of race. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Um, In was high school? Taught- Yes. That's a dope yeah, class. It was an elective. <laughs> yeah, it, it really was. It was an elective. It was taught by um, a Jewish teacher. Mm-hmm. And class had, um, the class was very mixed. It had white, black, Mexican, Indian, Asian, people who identified also as well, white and Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There was a case um, in the Bay Area around that time in Sacramento where um, this this black father had brought his eight-year-old daughter into a casino. Um, so, so that right there was problematic. Right. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But very sadly and tragically, she went to use the restroom and she was sexually assaulted by two white men. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was horrifying. Um, and, and I can't remember right now, but I think they might have killed her. Mm. And I, I feel awful that I can't remember that important detail. Um, but we talked about it in the class. And I remember saying, and I, and the guys, they got off or they got a very light sentence or something crazy Mm -hmm. and absurd like that. Um, and I remember saying, um, that had the, had the races been reversed, had it been a young white girl and two Mm -hmm. black men Mm -hmm. that they would have locked up and thrown away the key no questions asked and um i remember the white people in the room having having a really strong reaction to it wow yeah and i remember it was me um my friend jonathan who was black my friend fabian who was mexican and um my friend nisha who was indian and we were all sitting in a row and um, we were, I remember we were all just like silent and, and angry, mm. um, at their reactions. Yes. Mm-hmm. At their reactions. And, and I said something about how the white people were reacting that way. And one of the white Jewish members of the group said, well, I'm Jewish. Jews have been oppressed. Mm. And, and I didn't, so, you know, when we talk about like intersecting identities, Mm -hmm. I remember thinking at the time that yes, yes, you're Jewish and you've been oppressed historically. And, um, you know, you, you fly down the street in front of school with your music blasting and you never get pulled over. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, you've told me that your dad will write you a sick note so you can go play tennis with him and his friends. Wow. Um, so, but I didn't really know how to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to college, um, my major was culture studies and we just started breaking all of that down. Yeah. Um, you know, notions of privilege, um, who, who owns culture, cultural mm. appropriation as it plays out in the arts. Um, and so that was when, that was when I really started to understand at a deeper level, those complexities, um, and then when I went to grad school, I, um, my track, my academic area of emphasis was diversity and community mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, just slowly but surely over reading, um, scholarship, out extracurricular activities that I involve myself in, mm-hmm. the types of colleagues I associate with, I've really kind of built that vocabulary over the years of how to talk about intersecting identities, um, the pyramid of power, Mm. um, implicit bias, but it's, but this is the thing that I really struggle with. So it's also (coughs) complex. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't get taught any of this vocabulary, uh, until we get to a much later place in our education and even then we have to seek it out Mm -hmm. and so I really struggle with um and I feel kind of elitist saying this but I really struggle with how is this knowledge ever going to get to the average Joe Mm -hmm. um yeah and I don't have an answer for it right and and I worry about, am I just going to remain, you know, in my academic intellectual circles um, where, where, where we talk about these things and debate and have dialogue, but it never, it never gets, it never spreads out. Right. And that's why we do this, right? Because it's accessible. Yes. Yeah. So Def- you put the definitely. language out there and you spread it and you share it. And some people will be reaching for it. Some people will be Mm -hmm. having experiences that this speaks to. Mm -hmm. And some people will be introduced to it Mm -hmm. (laughs) for whatever reason. (laughs) For whatever reason. Yeah, they'll have a brush with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So changing directions just a tad bit, but it's really going to build on what you've been discussing already. What does love mean to you? Oh, um, to me, love means showing up, Mm. um, vulnerabilities and all, um, your vulnerabilities and others' vulnerabilities. It means pure intention. Mm. Um, it means warmth. Um, so for me, when I was reflecting on this question, um, I was getting, sometimes I was getting feelings rather than words. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like a brilliant smile, Mm -hmm. um, a deep belly laugh, a really good hug, Mm. um, you know, a seemingly ordinary moment, but then you make eye contact with someone and the mundane changes to magical Mm. to me that's love so there's a sensory component to it as well yeah definitely definitely yeah it's it's warmth I don't know I I feel it in my stomach Mm -hmm. it's it's warm it feels good you want to just like wrap yourself up in it Mm -hmm. is there love without vulnerability I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think love without vulnerability um, could be um, sympathy, mm. 
um, maybe compassion or empathy, but I really think for it, I really think for it to be a two way street. And I, I think that's what love is. I think it's an exchange mm, An exchange. Um, I think there has to be vulnerability. I think both people or both entities or beings have to show up um, as they are, mm. human, mm-hmm. faults and all. And what about if one person shows up in this way with their vulnerabilities, with their care, with their warmth? Mm-hmm. Does it mean there's an absence of love if it's not received or reciprocated? Mm. I think that there would be an absence of um, longevity love, Mm. if that's the case. So it's not sustainable without reciprocity. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not a parent mm-hmm. and, um, you know, parents talk about that unconditional love, mm-hmm. you know, even if, even if their child rejects them or dies or if they're estranged. So maybe there doesn't need to be reciprocity. Hmm. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. Something to chew on a bit. Cause I don't know the yeah. answer. I'm just curious about how people see it. Yeah. And considering yeah. a framework of social justice, what would the world be like if it loved tall, mixed, cisgender, heterosexual women upper class so all of you humans like you yeah um if the world loved humans like me it would accept us Mm -hmm. no no questions asked Mm. um instead of questioning our background or our hair instead of fetishizing our skin tone instead of asking which of our parents is black and which is white, Mm. it would just let us, it would just let us be. Let you be. Um, It would ask us questions about our lives and our loves and make statements about us with no qualifiers. Mm. Um, So nothing like, well, as a mixed woman or for a mixed woman, there would be none of that. Mm. Um, it wouldn't presume to know about our sexual proclivities or our prowess. Mm. Um, it, it just, it wouldn't attempt to box us in. Mm-hmm. It would allow us to erase limits, redefine existence. It would listen Mm. It would listen to us when we said how we feel. Mm -hmm. It would listen to us when we talked about the wrongs committed against us. Mm. From the dismissing and the slights, to the catcalls, to the assaults. Mm. In fact, if the world loved us, none of those things would happen to us at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It would value our knowledge our vantage point, our intuition. And it would realize that our dreams would benefit everyone. Mm. And it would let us pursue these dreams unencumbered by noise and questioning and qualifying. It sounds like there's elements of freedom Yes, yes, yes. And freedom and empowerment, Mm. liberation, those are 
I would say those are the guiding tenets of my practice as a clinical psychologist. Okay. Um, so that's one of the identities that I didn't mention up top mm-hmm. when we first started, but, um, but yeah, freedom so important to me. And I feel like so many people, not just people who are mixed like me, um, are living in lives that aren't free. Mm. And I think about freedom as, and it could be an outcome of liberation, but for me, it could also have stood alone. Like you could have been born free. And some people feel that they're freer than others. Whereas liberation is an understanding that yes. there's been some oppression first, something mm-hmm. that from which you had to get free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Agreed. And I'm curious about going back a little bit, I think, to being a fetish. There are mm. some people who really receive that objective, that type of objectification as love. How do you differentiate mm. the two? Because it's, it's a tension, you know, it's, yeah. and I think some people make attention love. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the difference is that, and I think everyone probably defines this differently, but mm-hmm. For me, um, the, the fetish, it, it is attention. So part of it does, it feels good. Right. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it feels kind of icky. And so, so that, so to me, that's the signal that however this person is relating to me or speaking to me, it kind of feels good, but, but part of it just doesn't sit right. Yeah. And love isn't like that. Mm-hmm. Love and so to me, that's the difference. Love sits right in your gut. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly. What identities and others do you sometimes struggle to love? Um, so this is something that, um, has just become clear to me recently mm-hmm. and I've been reflecting a lot on it. I don't know um, about you, but this one brought me to a place of humility. Like, woo, <laughs> 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 gotta really talk about this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, in the story I'm about, uh, I'm about to relay, which happened a few months ago, um, that it brought me to that point mm-hmm. too. And I was like, I was like, Oh God, like, I'm really doing a lot of the things that I criticize in oppressors mm-hmm. and in oppressive forces. Um, but I really struggle to love others who lack the courage to speak up about things. Mm. Um, I was involved in a workplace discrimination situation not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke up about the issues And I found myself so frustrated and angry and critical of those who complained, but who refused to speak up. Mm. And the kicker was that a lot of the people that, that didn't speak up, they were dealing with some really significant personal issues, um, you know, life threatening illnesses, um, so intellectually, it made sense to me as to why they didn't want to or actually just couldn't, could not mm-hmm. take on yet another challenge in that moment. Um, but emotionally, it was really hard for me to love. Mm. And, you know, I really, I understand that my ability to speak up, my identity as an advocate, um, it's rooted in a lot of privilege. Mm. Um Having the privilege, the privilege of parents who encouraged right. Um, right. me as a girl child to think for herself. Mm-hmm. That's to big. Question things. Yeah. Um, to question things. 
knowing that if I did question things, they would support me emotionally, you know, going right back to the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the means to support me financially or legally if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so while being an advocate and speaking up can be a very lonely place, it's a space that I'm really privileged to occupy. Yeah. Um, but try as I might, even though I recognize that not everyone has had that same privilege, um, it doesn't keep it from being any less lonely of a place. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's why I struggle to find love in those instances. Um, because I want to belong, mm. you know, it goes back to that desire to belong, to, to be loved, to have attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, did it feel like your position as an advocate, as an advocate isolated you further or was it just that people didn't like that people pushed you away or that people kind of, how am I going to say this? Once you started speaking up, did you feel like people pushed you away to be that person? Like, go, you do that. We're not doing that. Or did it feel like you had to step away to be that person? Were you ousted mm-hmm. or were you, did you have to take a step? I, yeah, no, I felt pushed away. Mm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but pushed away in a really, um, I don't want to say backstabbing way, mm. but, uh, mm-hmm. but in a way of, you know, we would all meet to talk about things. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time to, um, speak truth to power. I was the only voice. Wow. Everyone else was silent. And so it sounds like it might've felt like betrayal. Yeah. I was just going to say that was the next <laughs> word. My lips. Yeah. It felt like betrayal. Um, but then it's, you know, it's really, um, it's really like, tricky because I have a lot of privileges that the other people don't have. Mm. So is it fair for me to say I was betrayed by them? Mm. It's complicated, right? Yeah, it's so complicated. It's so complex. Because I hear you really want you use the word empowerment earlier and really wanting them as a part of your praxis to be empowered to speak for themselves yes and so you this is the way i'm understanding it we're trying to fill in that gap but wanting it to be communal Mm -hmm. until the empowerment came and there was a ability to do that and it felt like you just ended up being alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I also struggle with what I name, and I think it's inappropriate, but I'm going to use the word that I would use, cowardice mm-hmm. in other people. Yeah. Yes. But I you really too. broke down like some of the dynamics of how you get to be the person who's the voice, right? Yeah. How you learn that. That will be, in some ways, even if it's uncomfortable, affirmed, and it has been affirmed in you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. enough power to stand if somebody pushes back up against you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Because then you have people who, you know time and time again, they keep getting pushed down mm-hmm. and they don't have the power to stand, to stand back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like, is it, is it fair for me to call them cowards? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Did you, did you watch the, um, Anita Hill special on HBO where yes. Carrie Washington? Yeah. 
Yes. So, um, I was watching it with a friend and his, his take was, you know, had she said something back in 1980 when it first happened, um, he never would have gotten to that point to even be considered a Supreme court justice Mm. and that she was cowardly for not doing so. Wow. And I was like, I was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, look at, look at the circumstances. Mm -hmm. It was 1980. She was a young black woman, um, as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So she was, she was the only one Mm -hmm. probably. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, here he was, a a powerful, respected black attorney, or maybe he was a judge at the time. I don't remember. Um, You know, she came from a very religious, God-fearing background. Mm -hmm. So, So just all of those dynamics were at play when it first happened. And so I get why she didn't say anything. But, you know, the argument that my friend was making, I could, I could kind of see that too, Mm -hmm. because I was going through the same thing at work in that exact moment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer. It's really hard. And I don't think there has to be one. It really is a matter of what I, what I thought about as you were saying that was when we just talked about how long it took us to access the language to be able to name what it is. Mm -hmm. And I too experienced that type of empowerment as a young black girl, like speak up, say what Mm -hmm. you say, what's on your mind. And I think from my cultural perspective, that's, that's not often encouraged. No, you can get a woman for having a smart mouth. But I did have a smart mouth. It's smart in good ways and smart in bad ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. But enough to say that's not fair. That's not okay. And so to speak about someone else as a coward who may or may not have felt empowered, because people with our same marginalized identities without that empowerment piece could very much feel like I can lose it all if I say something. Yes, yes. Yes, my life might be on the line. Mm-hmm. My life, my livelihood. And I don't think it's unfair. It's fair for me to impose. We'll lose it all then, because that's mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. what you need and want. <laughs> it's not okay. I don't have children. I'm not, you know, like I'm not feeding yes. people. That makes a big yes. difference. Mm-hmm. So I feel you right in that that middle ground of complexity where it's like I have these feelings, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're substantiated by experience, people's yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to wrap up with the final question. What okay. do you love most about you? Okay. I love my curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, my work ethic. My openness to keep growing my ability to look at myself and accept myself, even the places that are hard to look at or hard to acknowledge or hard to own. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ability only came after years of therapy yeah. and willingness to work on myself. There's a lot um, of undoing that has to happen to get there. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, my resilience, mm-hmm. um, my very deep commitment to speak up for what's right, to work to make the world a better place, even when it feels lonely to mm-hmm. do so. And last, but certainly not least, I really love my sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, you know, it it might come from a place of, um, laugh to keep from crying. Right. But, um, 
I just, if my sense of humor were taken away, I, I couldn't do any of the rest of it. I couldn't do any of the other work. Mm. Um, Survival so humor is real. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's, that's what I really love most about myself. Well, I really appreciate you for taking the time to talk with me, to share who you are with the world and anything you want to say to wrap up before we go? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for putting this project together. Um, I think that the questions are, um, I think the questions can be beneficial to anyone, Mm -hmm. no matter who you are, where you are, what you do. Um, just taking that time to reflect can be so rich Mm -hmm. and can make you think about things in a way that you hadn't thought of them before. Well, that was one of Uh, my hopes. I mean, that was definitely one of my goals. (sighs) Self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. This has been just a really great experience for me. So thank you, Candice. Thank you, Lena. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovehuman.com. How to love a human.